Thank you guys. Great job. I remember when Heart of Worship came out as a brand new worship song, <laughs> which makes me feel a little old. But anyway. All right. I want to say congratulations today. There's a new big brother sitting right there. Another minted grandpa and grandmother right here. What do they call you, by the way? Mimi and Papa right there. Congratulations. Papa. And then, of course, Jonathan and Amber. Congratulations to the proud parents. Look here. Lily Beth was born yesterday. I don't know if you can see that. I should have put it on the screen. But anyway. Lily Beth was born yesterday. We're just so excited grateful. All children are gifts from the Lord. All children are gifts from the Lord. They should be treated as such and loved as such. So, all right. Uh, we're going to uh, continue on in our study here in Luke's message. So I invite you now to take your Bibles and turn with me to uh, Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3 this morning. And we're going to be talking about... Um, that's actually last week's slide. It should be Luke 3, 15 through 22. So they might can adjust that for us in just a minute. I want to talk to you today. Well, I guess I need to take this off so you can actually hear what I'm saying and see what I'm saying. I want to talk to you today about the baptism of Jesus. Now, let me set this up for you quickly before we uh, go into the text. Um, as a young believer... I struggled with why Jesus had to be baptized. I don't know if you've thought about this much or have you ever crossed your mind, but baptism is usually for sinners, right? Sinners who are being renewed, and then it's showing it outwardly, what has happened internally. So Jesus Christ, my struggle came from a very high view of Christ. Jesus has never sinned. He is God in human form. Jesus has never had the need to ask for forgiveness. So why would Jesus be baptized? So this was my struggle as a young believer. And we're going to look at this today. We're going to try to answer this question. And we're going to try to deal with that. But then a bigger question is, what does that mean for you? What is the takeaway here for you uh, with the fact that Jesus was baptized? So if you have your Bibles, great. Turn with me to, um, uh, to, to Luke chapter 3. If not, it's on the screen to my right, to my left. Hear the word of God. As the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be Christ, be the Christ, John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, a strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor, and to gather the wheat into the barn. The chaff will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. But Herod, the tetriarch, who had been reproved by him for Hadronius and his brother's wife, for all evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all, that he locked up John in prison. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. May God have blessing to the reading of his holy, inerrant, and, and 
infallible word, and I pray, 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 he writes this truth on all of our hearts today. Well, this is an event that is recorded in all four Gospels. So you will see this in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which is actually, you know, usually there's one Gospel that leaves something out, but this one's in all four, which shows that this is a very critical, important event. Second of all, there are some interesting things in this account versus other accounts. I'll get into those in just a minute. But let me kind of set up the front part here. If we can go back to 15 for just a minute. I'm not sure if my clicker is it working today. Good. As the people were in expectation, all were questioning their hearts concerning John, whether he might be, what's it say, church? The Christ. So this is kind of an introduction side note. John's life was so holy and so set towards living for God that people mistook him for Christ. They thought he might be Christ. And in a day when the holiness of God and living a holy life are somewhat looked down upon, I think this verse reminds us that we need to strive for holiness so that people can see Christ clearly in the message. We need to be careful how we portray ourselves to other people. And we need to be even more careful about where we are in our hearts with the Lord. That we're not just doing this out of some obligation. We'll get to more of that later. Verse 16. John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. Oh, if we could have more of this in the church. More humility to this degree. Uh, too often we have worshipped at the bale of self. And elevated self above all else and all opinions and even above the word of God. And here in this passage, John makes it clear what? Christ is to be exalted above all. I am to be humbled and put under him. And then he goes on and says, he will baptize you with the what? Holy Spirit and fire. I will baptize you with just water. So John the Baptist here telling us, uh, you know, what does baptize mean? Baptizo, to be completely immersed completely submerged in water if Christ is going to baptizo you with the Holy Spirit you'll be completely immersed completely covered in the Holy Spirit I've got a book in my library in my office that says why just touch the fire why not be consumed by the fire and the fire here of course is the Holy Spirit and we know when people repent believe trust Christ that's what happens the Holy Spirit comes upon you you are consumed by the Holy Spirit it's not a second thing it's what happens when you follow Christ 17 his winnowing fork is in his hand. This very much sounds like an Old Testament prophet, and John is the last of the Old Testament prophets, to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff will be burned up in an unquenchable fire. Those who don't trust Christ, who are found not to be in good standing, they will burn. The simple, plain, forward message, just like many of the Old Testament prophets, and still rings true today. But let me back around here to ask the question here about why does Jesus need to be baptized? Now, if you followed my social media, if you're on Facebook with me, you know Friday I requested prayer for Asher, who's here, and he's doing much better from his tooth. Appreciate the prayers. Got a tooth we're trying to encourage to come up. Now I ask this question, you know, the Bible tells us in Matthew, Jesus had to be baptized. He, you know, John, he comes into the water, and John says, I'm not worthy to baptize you, just like he did here. He said, you should be baptizing me, and John's correct to say that. And then Jesus corrects him and says, <clears throat> I must do this to fulfill all righteousness. So that's the answer about why Jesus had to be baptized. But here's the question. What does that mean? 
if you were to walk out of here today and somebody stopped you at lunch and said, the Bible says that Jesus was baptized with fellow righteousness, but what does that mean? What does that mean in the text? What does that mean for us? Right? It's two important questions that we need answered here in this text before we leave today. All right? So let me draw your attention to answer that question with, to three words, okay? The three words are this, baptism, prayer, and affection. So if you're a note taker, that's the three words that are going to be around your notes. It's going to be baptism, prayer, and affection. Let's unpack this, right? Let's skip down to 21, verse 21 here. Now, when all people were were baptized, when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens opened, right? That's the only verse that captures it. Luke is the only one of the Gospels that captures the baptism of Jesus in one verse. The other Gospel writers use four or five, sometimes three verses. Even Mark, and I don't know how familiar you are with New Testament writer styles, but in Mark's Gospel, I always tell people if they're new to being a Christian, read the book of Mark because it quickly gets you into the action of the Gospels and who Jesus is. But even Mark devotes more time to the baptism of Jesus than Dr. Luke does. So it's interesting here that he gets at it right quickly. Why Luke doesn't even say who baptizes Jesus. Now we know clearly from the other Gospels who does baptize Jesus. It is John the Baptist. And I think Luke expects you to remember we were just reading about John the Baptist so we must infer that it is John the Baptist who's doing the baptizing here in verse 21. But he's getting at this thing quickly. Why? He wants to emphasize a certain point, I think. I want to ask you three questions today. I want you to answer them quietly to yourself. Talk to yourself this morning. First question is this. Do you think that it would be a help to you in your Christian life to know how much Jesus is for you in your struggle against sin. Do you think it would be a help in your Christian life to know how much Jesus is for you in your struggle against sin? To know just how closely he has identified himself to you and to your unique struggle against sin. Would that be helpful? Think how that might help you in the darkest of hours as you are battling sin that many that you go to church with are not even aware that you're battling. Dark hours there identifying with you in your fight with sin to the point where he is almost inside of you helping you when you are out of energy and completely ready to throw into town to help you lift your arm up as they did in the Old Testament when Moses was tired and could no longer hold up his arms and praise to God. Aaron and another brother rushed to his side to hold his arms up. Christ is in the fight with you against sin. Second of all, do you think it might help you in your Christian life if you wanted to pray more? And you were more disciplined in the way that you talked to your Heavenly Father. Do you think it might help if your practice of prayer was something that you always longed to engage in? That you wanted to talk to your Heavenly Father. You didn't have to be prodded into it by your pastor or your wife or your husband, right? We've all had those elbows in the ribs. You didn't need that. 
but it flowed from a direct desire to want to do so deliberately, wholeheartedly. Listen, I had a friend who, his dad died right after we arrived here. I think it was like the first year we were in Carter County. I knew him for years in Fall Branch. He was sharing with me how bad he misses his dad. And he talked about, you don't know what I would give to see my dad's number show up on my cell phone again if I could just pick it up and talk to him one more time. How much more still should the desire that we have to speak to our Heavenly Father be? And here's my third question. Do you think it might help in your Christian life to know how much your Heavenly Father loves you? To actually sense experientially your father's delight in you that that he takes pleasure in you that it might help you in your Christian life to think about that you know there are a lot of wonderful people in the world who for a lot of reasons struggle in sensing the love and affection of God I see them in my office sometimes I talk to them out in the community. Do you think it might help you this morning? If you knew experientially more the love and affection and delight that the Father has for you. So these three words, baptism, prayer, and affection. Baptism, prayer, and affection. First of all, let's look at baptize. Now, verse 21. Now. When all the people were baptized, and when Jesus had also been, what's it say? It says baptized, doesn't it? What do we see here? This is a description of Jesus' baptism. Matthew and Mark uh, also record this as well as John. There's five verses of it in Matthew. Uh, Luke here, one verse. First John, John chapter 1, you can read about his account there. And... What we're seeing here, Jesus in his baptism, several things happening. But one thing I can say with confidence and with assurity here from Luke in 21, he is showing himself to be in relationship with us in our struggle with sin. He is identifying with us, right? But the difference between Jesus and us as sinners is that Jesus, of course, battles sin and beats it in the 40 days and 40 nights. We struggle with it and have to have his help. What Luke's drawing your attention to here is Jesus' identification with the people in this passage. What's significant about that? What is significant about that? What's significant about that is that these people have come to be baptized by John the Baptist. Remember, we talked about this back at Christmas time. John was born from a mother who had an older body. She is the last to carry an Old Testament prophet. Jesus is born in a young woman's body. He is ushering in a new covenant. Even the, the age of their mother's bodies is symbolic for what is happening. The last of the old connected with family to the mother of the new, right? In a similar fashion here, there is a identification here when the baptism of Jesus takes place to show a, a continuity with the ministry of John. Another thing that should be noted with John, what tribe was John's dad from? Do you remember? 
Where's Zechariah from? He was a what? He was a Levite, wasn't he? He was from a line of priests. Did you know Exodus required that before any priest could operate in the temple, they had to go through a ritualistic baptism, a cleansing. They had to be anointed. You can read about that in Numbers 8, 5 through 20. The Levitical priests, before they entered into the service of the Lord, had to be baptized when they were 30 years old. Guess how old Jesus is here? And guess who's baptizing him? A Levite is baptizing a 30-year-old to enter into service of God as a priest that will never end and stand before the people. The baptism of Jesus here teaches us three things. It teaches us these things. But these things, Luke wants us to see and to see them clearly, uh, that the baptism of Jesus shows his identification with his people, that he is sympathetic to the plight of sinners, and that he is not a sinner, and they are, but he understands. Do you remember what John says when Jesus comes out to him, right? When Jesus comes to the wilderness, and John is having his ministry of baptizing, he says what? Look, behold, the Lamb of God who comes and takes away sin from the world. So there's your clue. Jesus is baptized in the same way, right? They have, uh, they have here, all these people been coming and baptized by John. But John points and says, look, this is Christ. This is the one who is greater than I. This is the one that my whole ministry builds up to. I must decrease, he must increase. So his baptism shows us identification with sinners. It shows us of his uh, Levitical right as a priest. It shows the lineage continuing on. It shows the fulfillment of God's plan. I want to ask you today, do you realize how closely, though, in this passage, he is to you and with you in your sin? He enters the same Jordan water that all these other dirty sinners go into. He goes under the same dirty water they went under, right? So these sins that you hope no one ever discovers, your deepest sins, your deepest shames, your humiliations and great offenses before the holiness of God. You know, I, I don't know why this is. I've just noticed this. I've been in ministry now. This fall will mark 20 years in, in, in ministry at some form or another. Either pastor, youth pastor, children's minister, something. And uh, there's a call in Acts. The church is supposed to reach the nations, the Great Commission, but the Great Commandments dictate and are demonstrated in Acts that there's ever a need within the church body, right? Nobody should lose their house if they're a faithful member of Grace Baptist Church because we should step up and make the mortgage payments so they can make it. You know, nobody goes without in the family. That's the way it was in the first century church. That's the way it should be in the church now. And uh, it's funny, my dad used to always say, if you want somebody to leave you alone, just give them money. And make sure you give them an amount that they probably can't pay back because you'll never see them again. And I found that to be true. And sadly, in the church, it's been true. And that's just a small, embarrassing thing that, you know, I'll be honest, it wasn't our money as a church to begin with. It was God's money. And a lot of times when people come back and try to pay it back, I just tell them to pay it forward to another member in need, you know, because uh, it's not ever about the money. It's about love and care. How much more still these sins that, that we don't want anybody to find out about, that we, we fear others would know, right? Here is the reality of this passage. Those sins that only you and the Lord know about, Despite that and how horrific you think that may be, 
Jesus Christ identifies with you in that struggle. Jesus Christ longs that you will let him help you fight that sin. And then uh, he wants you to be his savior. So let's move on to this other thing too. One last thing I want to say about this one and then I'm going to move on. The fact that he willingly is baptized like this also shows that uh, this is a job he wanted to do. I'm going to talk about this at the end. Husband, wives, let's be frank. There are jobs you, you don't want to do sometimes, but you do them anyway because you love your spouse, right? You begrudgingly do tasks at home, okay? As you do this, that, that, you kind of groan and do it. Despite whatever 1970s play or film may say, Jesus Christ wants to be your Savior. He wants to be one who comes along with you in your struggle with sin. He wants to help you defeat sin. That is his desire. He is not begrudgingly going to to be baptized. He is not begrudgingly going to the cross. He desires that role. Okay? Second thing here. And then there's prayer. It's interesting. Luke focuses intently on prayer. Jesus has said, my house, my father's house shall be a house of prayer. Let's ask a few questions about prayer to be clear. Why is it Jesus prays? Have you ever stopped to think about that? Luke focuses multiple times on Jesus' prayer life, how he went away from the masses, pulled away, and spent time in prayer. Why? Did Jesus need to ask for forgiveness of sins? No, he did not. What is he doing in his prayer time? He's communicating, but you know what else he's doing? He's relishing and enjoying that fellowship with the Father, right? That's what he's doing. We live in a strange time where if you try to be disciplined about something like prayer, you are made fun of or scoffed at or the devil tries to trick you otherwise. I love what John Piper says this about the discipline of prayer. He says, it is true, he says, it is true that intentional, regular, disciplined, earnest, Christ-dependent, God-glorifying, joyful prayer is a duty. It is a discipline. You can call it that. It's a duty that... The way that the the duty of a scuba diver to put on his tank before he goes underwater. That's a duty, isn't it? It's a duty the way that pilots have to listen to air traffic controllers before they take off. It's a duty the way that soldiers in combat clean their rifles and load their guns. It's a duty the way that hungry people have to eat food. It's a duty the, the, the first of these that have to drink water. It's a duty the way the deaf man has to put in his hearing aid. It's a duty the way the diabetic has to take insulin. It's a duty the way the... Winnie the Pooh. You like Winnie the Pooh? Does anybody like Winnie the Pooh in here? Okay. It's a duty the way that Winnie the Pooh looks for honey. Is that a job for him to look for honey? It's a duty the way that pirates look for gold. It's their very nature almost, isn't it? He goes on to say, I hate the devil. I hate the devil in the way that he's killing some of you by persuading you that it is legalistic to be regularly in prayers as you are and you're eating and sleeping and using the internet. Do you not see... That what a sucker he's made out of you. I would also add to prayer, Bible, Bible reading, Bible study, church attendance, all these things that you need. He goes on to bring clarity. He's laughing, he's, he's laughing at us, up his sleeve at how easy it is at deceiving Christians about the importance of prayer. God has given us means of grace. If you do not use them to their fullest advantage, then our uh, complaints against him will not stick. If we don't eat, we'll starve. If we don't drink, we'll get dehydrated. If we don't exercise a muscle, it atrophies. If you don't breathe, we suffocate. 
And just as there are physical means of life, so there are spiritual means of grace, and prayer is one of them. You need it as much as you need breath. Is it your duty to breathe? Jesus wants to, and he plans to, and he practices speaking with God. Conversing with God, praying to God. It's an example to us. It's a model for us. It's a joy for us. And then finally, affection. Make this last point here, one last thing. And this may be the important, most important of the three when we think about this. The affection. Have you ever thought about how much affection a father has for his children? Maybe if you're a father or mother, you have. Now listen, I love many of you here. But if it came down to either one of my sons or my daughter or you, I'm sorry, I'll see you in heaven. We can make up there, right? The choice is clear to me. I will choose my children every time. Now that may be wrong or that may be selfish, but that's how I feel. How much still, if I were to plumb the depths of the love of the Father for Jesus, what does God the Father love more than anything in the world? If he were to set his affections on anything other than Christ be idolatry for him it must be Christ and yet something almost mind bending to me it almost sounds heretical what I'm about to read you listen to this right the gospel of John Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross and in the gospel of John it says he prays before John 17 this is the prayer father I would that the love that you have had for me from eternity would be in them. Do you know what Jesus is praying there? Thought about that? He's praying that you, Christian, that you, believer in Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, that you who have repented of your sins and trusted Christ fully alone for salvation, he is here offering the gospel. But not only that, he's praying that you would know, that you would experience, that you would be the object of, that you would partake of the love of our Heavenly Father. As, as He loves the Son, He here is praying that you would know that your Heavenly Father does not love you less. This is the heretical part, right? That sounds heretical, but it's true. That He does not love you less than He loves His only begotten Son. And that you would participate and be a recipient of of the same love the Father has for the Son. It's amazing, isn't it? I object to that, Pastor. I don't like it. Take it up with Jesus, right? I'm not the one who prayed it. Christ prayed it. And I know there are probably Christians here today that may be watching or may be sitting in here. Lovely people, godly people, faithful people who have a hard time experiencing that kind of love. And here's what God's word has to say to you. Look at the cross. Right? See the cross of Jesus Christ. That cross is the proof and the evidence that God has secured an everlasting redemption for you and that he has set his affection on you. Look to the cross. I want to ask you, my friends, would it make a difference in the Christian life if you knew these things were true?
are true, do you believe them? Is the question. From the top of your head to the bottom of your socks, do you believe this? Those of you who have tasted and seen the Lord is good, if you really know the loving kindness and the affection of God, do you today? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this text today, how good and how right it is and how true it is. We pray today that you would help us. Lord, some of us here, our parents didn't love us, one, both. Maybe our kids didn't love us or other family members didn't. And this is almost unbelievable, the affection that you would set on us. Lord, we see from the baptism of Jesus the commitment that he will see this thing all the way through, the anointing, the identification with us, and then the aid that has come, Lord, to fulfill all righteousness in Israel in that day and the righteousness that we are to live out for him. God, I pray today, if there's anyone here watching or anyone in here, that they would truly grasp this affection, this love. They would experience this and know this truth. They would lead their hearts, Lord, that you would lead us. I pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to have a time of response to the Word of God preached. I'll be back here at the Snack Shack to pray with you or to answer any questions you may have. If you don't know Christ today, you don't have this affection of the Father in your life, come know Him today. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Won't you do that as we sing?